Right, ladies and gentlemen, it is all. Looks like the music won't stop. I think that's playing for Manchester United after their victory over Liverpool this weekend. But let me tell you, we will get into that a little bit later. I can see beaming big smiles on our co-host's face. We're talking none other than, of course, Rudds. He is a very, very happy man after Liverpool posted a loss against Manchester United in Monday night's uh, final game of the round. Of course, Arsenal had another victory this week, pumping Bournemouth 3-0 and going from strength to strength. There was a massive shock at Ellen Road in Leeds, absolutely tearing apart a hapless Chelsea. Of course, we had Brighton beating West Ham and the results of the weekend, in a way, someone actually taking points off Manchester City when they look like nobody will do it. There's also some solid wins for top four and maybe title hopefuls uh, Spurs as they beat Wolves um, in a ever-efficient Conte-style win. There was, of course, a win as well for Crystal Palace, while Everton were held at home to newly promoted Nottingham Forest. Of course, the Mitra show continued on at Craven Cottage as he scored a late winner against Brentford. Leicester are looking at a little bit of a, a shaky turmoil kind of way um, with a loss to Southampton at home. And uh, I guess we start, gents. Interesting set of results. You know, we'll dive into details a little bit more. But what did you make of the the results this weekend, Wade, across the board? Yeah, um, some really interesting results. Obviously, the Liverpool and uh, United result stands out. Uh, I think pretty much everyone wrote United off. I was fearing the worst for them, personally. Um, I thought it could get ugly, but... Uh, Fair play to them. They turned up at home. Um, Newcastle were excellent against City. Really, really good. Uh, Carrying on from where they left off last season. I personally didn't think that they actually did enough, um, you know, over the summer to really kick on. I thought they needed a bit more. But, I mean, St. James is just such a a hostile crowd, such a tough environment, and they they keep producing. So, um, another good win for um, Brighton as well. And obviously Leeds. Leeds were phenomenal against Chelsea. I watched that game uh, 3-0 and deserved every single goal um, and everything that came their, their way. So Aronson's been impressive, very impressive since he's come in. He's, he's given them that energy uh, up top. So very impressed with Leeds. And then, as you mentioned, Arsenal, we... Kick on, a really good win against Bournemouth, played well, probably should have had a couple more, but I'm um, happy with the way things are traveling. So some 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 good results and a, a good um, a good poster for the Premier League this week, and I think in terms of the results and just the way the games were played. And Rads, anything to add to that? Any other surprise results or what stood out for you this weekend? Um, I like the Fulham game. I thought that was a fantastic game, especially that last-minute winner from uh, Mitrovic. Um, that was a that was a firecracker of a game. The City game was good as well. I think, um, like way to say, St James's Park is going to be a, a really tough uh, place to go this year. That that crowd is buzzing um, with the form they showed at the end of last season, the new owners, and you know just that whole vibe they got. So I think they that's really 
a, a stadium where you've got the 12th man in your face the whole time. Um, you know, which was the other one, the Chelsea and Leeds one. I also watched that game. I thought uh, it's a couple of, you know, I was back cynical last week about Chelsea. Um, and one of the things I've noted is that they miss Kante, man. Yo, you know, when, when Kante is not there, that Leeds press was very impressive. Very, very impressive. That was a that was your Red Bull, Salzburg, um, you know, all, all guns blazing. And they struggled. And um, that's where they needed, you know, like I, I, I truly believe they needed a player like like Kante. They don't even have Kovacic in their team. So that, that was that was a miss along with their, you know, their, their failure to put away chances. That first or so, they were, they were by far the better team, Chelsea. Um, they just didn't finish their chances. And then, you know, chance Leeds got into the game then when Leeds scored then you know Chelsea was shell-shocked uh Thomas Tuchel's a pretty poor loser as well I thought he starts complaining after the game as well so I thought that was poor form after he's you know running with Conte the week before um you know one thing that being a moan complaint someone actually did a a letter about you know which which coach you know complains the most of after a loss And, and Klopp is up there but Tuchel is by way and far the top of that of that leader chart. He's a he is one hell of a moaner. Um, the other interesting result I thought was the Spurs one. The Spurs weren't really very good in the first half, um, but they were much better in the second half. And that was a game that they they lost last year. You know, Wolves are like their their party's team. So you know, <laughs> the way they grind out results and the way they you know. Um, they're getting wins despite not not playing well. You know, I think that that's you know we always say that's a good sign for teams. But uh, let's see, they they'll have tougher tests to come. Yeah, I must say, and we're probably going to shift uh, focus. But I must say, the things that stood out for me this weekend is, um, you know, probably the and we're going to dive into a little bit, chance uh, on these three managers. But you know, we're talking about the, of course, the ex, the ex pros of of Chelsea, Arsenal, and and Liverpool, and we saw Crystal Palace, Patrick Vieira, Crystal Palace taking on Aston, Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa, coming out three one on top. We of course saw Everton uh, taking on newly promoted Forest, and and drawing that game. And uh, to me, it creates a bit of an interesting dynamic and maybe a bit of a conversation. I know our listeners will probably be interested in this, but what have we made, I guess, of those three managers as a whole through not only their their career, but their time in the Premier League. I thought I'd just read out some stats of their records and, and maybe open the floor up to you, Ruds, to, to, to start with. But let's start with uh, Frank Lampard, you know, Derby County. He was basically there for just over a year. Um, a win percentage of 42, 42%. He then moved on to Chelsea, his um, boyhood club. Um, stayed there for a period of just shy of two years. Had a win percentage of, of 52%. He, of course, came in late in January as uh, the saviour for Everton. Uh, they survived. He got the job done. And, of course, continuing on now in terms of um, uh, this season with a win percentage of, of 36%. We then move over to, of course, uh, Steven Gerrard. Um, his first professional offer was at Rangers, you know, 64%, 65% win, win percentage. At Aston Villa, he's taken over in November last year. He's sitting at about 38% uh, in terms of wins. You then look at Patrick Vieira, uh, Patrick, Patrick Vieira, sorry, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Started at New York City, had a two-year stint there, uh, one percentage of about 45%. Moved over to France at Nice, another two years. 
at about 39%. And as of course, at Crystal Palace, um, which was July 2021, so about a year in, in charge. And that's a, that's about 35% win percentage. So I guess what have you made of them as managers as a whole? Who do you see as being um, the biggest, I guess, where do you see the most talent lying there, Rudds? And what have you made of their time in the Premier League? I think it's unquestionable that Vieira is the one that's showing the most talent. You know, we all sat here last year saying Crystal Palace didn't invest. Um, it was an aging squad. He's only got youngsters in there. You know, easy to see them going down. But the, what, the way he had them playing um, and what he drew out of that, 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 that team was fantastic. And, and you know, then again, he got Gallagher going. You're thinking, oh, is he going to have that same creativity in the middle? You know, what's, what, what, how are they going to look? And I just pick up the you know the pieces and they and they play good football you know that was a that, that was uh, another entertaining game. Um, they were peppering Martinez. Martinez played a big part in in uh, keeping the scoreline a bit more respectable for Villa. Um, for, so for me, I think there's no question that Vieira looks to be the most talented in there. In terms of obviously trophies, Gerard, you can't complain with him winning the league in in uh, Scotland, but. Uh, if I'm honest with you, I think he's probably the one that's under the most scrutiny and pressure at the moment because Aston Villa have backed him. Aston Villa have spent big. Aston Villa got a good team. And, you know, the, the the way they've started this season, off the back of the way they finished last season, you know, he needs to get some results. Um, as much as we've been slow sitting Frank Lampard, and he will be under pressure, and I think he still will get the sack, he hasn't really been backed in the market. They've sold their best players. You know, I think there's an acceptance there that, the Everton team is not very good. Whereas with the Aston Villa team, I think the view is that is a top 10 team. You know, they've got quality players in there. You know, they, they've spent big. Gerard's got to have to, he has to perform. Um, so I think um, with, with Vieira, he's playing with house money. The expectation is not very high. He can just play good football and continue on his upward trend. Uh, so I think, you know, it's, everything is rosy on his side. Frank Lampard, I think they're going to be in the bottom half conversation this season and Rudd's uh wait, sorry I mean Rudd's has, you know raised some valid points there um you know Steven Gerrard came in with some high expectations after his Rangers success um, and villagers haven't clicked. I know they've been on a wretched run since last season. They've lost something like um, it could be, you know, in the double figures in terms of number of losses since probably the back end of last season into this year. And they just kind of look like a, a side that's a little bit all over the place and struggling to find an identity. Uh, do you, are you in agreement with Rudds or do, do you see it a little bit differently in terms of, you know, what Lampard's potentially done and, and where Gerard's at? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I, I probably will agree with, um, I think, most of the points that Rudd's raised there, actually. I think Vieira came in looking at their Palace team last year. Like, I think at the beginning of the year, we all said that he's probably the favourite to get the sack. So, um, you know, the pressure was on him. He had a really good season with them. We always said as well, though, the second season is going to be the real test. Um, so far, they've looked really good. So it looks like he's continuing to do the business. Um, didn't end well for him at Nice, of course. So he's got a bit to prove. But if I had to rank them, I'd definitely say Vieira is probably showing the most promise um, at this stage. And if he can have another decent season at Palace, um, I think that would really separate him from the other two. But 
he's also uh, he also seems like he's got a bit of an eye for talent as well. He's made some um, some really good acquisitions to Palace players that complement their style, and they're actually playing with a bit of flair as well. You know, so um, it's exciting times for them. Um, Gerard definitely under a lot of pressure. I think he's he's got obviously that Rangers credit in the bank still, so he's still running off that. Really good season in Scotland. You know, a lot of people will argue that it's um, not really that difficult if you're managing Celtic or Rangers, one of those teams you're bound to have success. Um, but um, very much under pressure. His record hasn't been good at Villa. So it's going to be interesting to see how long they persist with him. Uh, they seem to, you know, be very committed to him. As Raj was saying as well, they've made a lot of big investments in the team. So... I think Lampard, for me, probably is the one I'd put last, though. I know Rod's mentioned they haven't really been backed, but I didn't see much of an improvement when he joined Everton last year. You know, he managed to keep them up just uh, when he came in. I don't know how much worse Benitez would have been if he had stayed. Um, but, yeah, I, I, if I had to rank them, I'd say Vieira, Gerard, and uh, Lampard. But I wouldn't be surprised if Gerard and Lampard don't last the season. You know, especially with the way they've started. So that's that's actually looking likely. But let's see how it plays out. But yeah, I agree with most of the points Rod's made there. So your your money's on uh, if things at the, the with current way it's going, Lampard is out the door first. I would say so. Yeah, I'd yeah. say so. Well, just to put it in perspective, gents, Aston Villa since the start of March um, this year have lost nine of their twelve games. So that is that is relegation form. Um, there's no two ways about it. And I think if you look at when he came in in December, you know it was almost top four form there there at at one stage that they had yeah. a little a bit of a new manager bounce. So it's been the complete opposite. Um, I guess Rod, same thing for you. Uh, you know, if you had to put your last hundred on it, who's who's first out the door based on what you're currently seeing? Yeah, look, just based on that form, like I said, and the expectations of the team for me, it's Gerard. I think. Um, I still think Lampard's going to get sacked, but I think they'll give him a bit more time because, um, you know, they haven't backed him the way he Big excuse there. It looks like, um, you know, this big prospect of Anthony Gordon is out the door to, to Chelsea for £60 million. Um, so, you know, um, I think he has some credit in the bank because he kept them up and the team's not good. Whereas Gerard, that nine, nine losses out of 12, um, no. Nah. If that's 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 a uh, big no-no. Um, out of curiosity, do you know who Villa have this week? Uh, as in who they playing? Yeah, West Ham. Yeah, they, they play West Ham. Yeah, so that's going to be, you know... That's quite uh, a battle, actually. That's going to be an interesting one to see because the West Ham haven't had the best of starts either, you know. Yeah. Let me tell you something. I came into this podcast, you know, with my back feeling like it's broken because... Past couple of weeks, United have been holding up the league, but I can say now, nah, you know, we're moving on up. So <laughs> I leave. I'll leave a jump. Quite a big. I leave Moise. I leave Moise at the bottom there. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you um, you have to. I, I would probably agree with most of what you guys have said. Um, you know, taking uh, and again now, you know, I know Steven Gerrard, the Liverpool legend, but at the end of the day, what he's been doing at Aston Villa although looked extremely promising at the start, has really flattered to deceive in recent times. Now, the question is, do Villa stick or do they twist? Um, is it time to cut the fat? Or do you see something there where you see a man that's on a path and 
just going through that change bounce kind of thing. You know, it was tough for Arteta at the start. It was tough for any manager that came in at the start. Uh, it's one of those questions because football is not very forgiving in the Premier League. Um, I think the only positive for Gerard right now is it is the start of the season. Um, and they could let this run for a while to see where it goes. Um, but there will come a point if this form continues um, to Wade's point and to Rudd's point that, you know, that they will go. I, I think with him, I see a potential for a turnaround, though. With Lampard, I just I don't see it at all. I, I see Everton being extremely poor um, and lacking the, the players and, I don't know, the managerial nous of somebody to actually steer that ship in the right direction. So, if they I lose the Gordon, team, the bottom, if they lose I do think Gordon, he's the bottom. they're going to be in yeah. real trouble because you, yeah. then you're really starting to question like where they're going to get anything from because at times last season, it looked like that kid was driving them forward. Like he almost single-handedly kept them up with, the, with some of his performances. So, if they lose him, you really have to ask yourself where they're going to get the points from. Mm. So... Yeah. Yeah. Look, um, the one thing with Gerard as well, I know he, I think he's he had an assistant named Michael Beale. Um, he was with him at Rangers, and I think he may have been with him at Liverpool as well. Yeah, I think he was Michael Beale, ex Liverpool coach. And um, he's been he he got a lot of plaudits in terms of how good he is um, tactically, um, and how he works with the players more so than Gerard. Gerard is was like your traditional manager where you know Bill was the, the hands-on um tactician. And without him, maybe that's gonna be a massive loss. So let, let's see. Let's see. I mean I'm just going through Aston Villa's signings. You know, they've made one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. They've made thirteen signings, including some loans. And of course some of these players were already playing there like uh Z. But mm-hmm permanent deal um, from Everton but there are faces that have come in and I don't know if it was Everton but I believe Emerson is back in the Premier League is that um, I saw a post about Emerson being re- uh, Emerson that used to play for Chelsea Someone sure Ch- he was a Chelsea player he's now signed for West Ham yeah. for West Ham that's right, that's yeah. right. from Chelsea um, so you got some interesting kind of dynamics playing out across the league. But I think in terms of these three managers, it's going to be very interesting. Certainly looking from, from the outside in, Vieira seems to have a formula that's working. And Crystal Palace seem to be on the right path. You know, they're going to play their, their the team they love to play every season, uh, which is Manchester City. So it'll be interesting to see how they go there. They always seem to have the the, the hoodie over them. And I guess with Villa, you know, huge game against West Ham this weekend with both teams terribly out of form. And of course, um, you know, it's not much easier for Everton as they go to Brentford's community stadium. And one thing with Brentford, you know, they may flatter to deceive away from home, but at that stadium, they are a different kettle of fish um, to play against. So it certainly will be interesting to see how it all all kind of plays out. Um, do you see any of those three teams? Well, I would say Chris. But do you see any of the other two teams in a in a proper relegation battle all the way to the end, boys? I can see Everton getting caught up in one. Um, Villa, you know, I think they've got the squad to probably manage to stay up. Um, but Everton, I can definitely see them being in a relegation scrap, particularly, as I mentioned earlier, if they lose Gordon, because it really felt at times last season he was a one-man band. So if he goes... There might be big trouble there. 
Rod? Yeah, so I, I, for me, the same. I think that uh, for sure Everton would be in a relegation slap, uh, scrap um, until there's a manager change. Uh, I don't think, um, because I think they will move quicker to sack Gerard than, than Everton will. Well, it certainly will be interesting, whatever plays out over coming. Um, we will no doubt be waiting with bated breath to see. We are going to shift. Of course, talk about the, the main game that did occur this weekend over at Old Trafford. I know Rudd's is chomping at the bit to get into this one, but we saw, a, a, I'll describe it as interesting, I suppose, um, being a neutral on the fence co-host. Um, <laughs> I'll call myself that for today. But we did see, of course, Manchester United somehow turning into a team and, and producing a, a somewhat decent performance um, against a, a rather confusing-looking Liverpool and, of course, getting that 2-1, 2-1 victory um, at Old Trafford. So, Rod, I guess I have to start with you. What did you make of the performance? Um, what did you think of the tactics? And wh- where was the game won and lost for you? Was it a masterstroke by Eric Ten Hag? Was it simply just a um, a few pieces coming together on the day? I think you got to give him credit because he did change his approach. Um, I did see there were two different styles from United in that game. So I think the first 30 minutes, or say 25 minutes, was a lot uh, to following that. So I think um, United were winning the ball quite high. The press was there the entire game. Um, but there was a lot more possession and what he wanted to do on the ball. Um, but as... You, get, you take the lead, you're playing against Liverpool, you find yourself desperate for a win. So, you know, um, seeding position, you know, really playing, it, it turned into a counter-attacking team. So I think I, I, I applaud him for that pragmatism in terms of changing his approach, even in terms of David De Gea. So you look at what how he played and I saw the map in terms of his, his kick. So completely opposite to what happened the week um, and Brentford, they were all really small kicks, trying to um, get it to the number six of the centre-backs and start their build-up play from the back. Um, against Liverpool, there were none. Liverpool, um, there was a clear target to target um, his left, which would be Trent Alexander-Arnold's uh, side. Um, and, you know, when it did fall to Ilanga or Rashford, if they were inter- inter- um, interchanging, you know, they they'd clearly try to attack that and make that um, look at that as, as a weakness in this, you know, in that first half, I think there's a couple of things that I'm concerned about, you know, when you get a chance like Ilanga had, you've got to finish that, you know, um, the, all the top teams have players that finish those chances one-on-one with the goalkeeper to, to hit the post. That's, you know, he's got away with that one because we've got a result, but that's a massive, massive chance. Um, happy for Rashford to get onto the score sheet, happy for Sancho. Um, but I think um, some one of the most impressive things is, you know, these pundits have been slamming United and the lack of work and heart and attitude. And that's what we saw. We saw that attitude and, and the fight. And I think as a, as a fan, you know, that's the, probably the most, the most impressive thing you see and something that you want to see from your players, win, lose or draw, if there's fight and hunger. And, you know, even if United didn't end up taking anything from that, from that game, you know, you, you could see a, there was a clear shift in attitude. You know, there weren't, Moaners and complaining. You could see they're running and working as working their asses off. I think that's the most they've run in, in the last three or four years. You know, and and not only that, 
I think they're one of the only teams to outwork Liverpool, to have more sprints and run more kilometres than Liverpool. So, you know, big ups to to the coach. Um, but it's going to be a tough. It's going to be a tough season because when we when we look at where United are, I think we will get these ups, these highlights, but we're going to get more downs. So you know, I, 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 we shouldn't get too excited by what we saw. Um, it's all going to be about Ten Hag trying to get some consistency out of the team and improving that team and and continuing it. But he made some big calls. I think having Varane and Martinez. Wow, Martinez! What a performance after being told. Uh, by Carragher the week before that he can't play centre back in this league. You know he was my man of the match. Um, he won all his aerial deals. He was very aggressive. He won, you know, um, the ball. He was really fantastic. I must say, just um, in Liverpool, that um, that doesn't mean I'm saying Liverpool's a crap team, but he'll have teams that are more direct than Liverpool. You know, Liverpool will try and play through you. You'll have teams that will play long, um, and that's not Liverpool. So I think he'll have tougher tests than that, um, but. Um, I'm I'm a happy, I'm a smiling man today. You'll notice there, uh, for the listeners, we actually didn't interrupt Rudds at all in that uh, segment because it's been a while that uh, he's <laughs> had this feeling to actually just... He's full of confidence and yeah. he does deserve the floor. It's been, it's been a while. Look, I, I, before you jump in, wait, I do want to ask you from a neutral, but I do want to play a little bit of a snippet from from Eric Ten Hag and uh, get your comments on what Rudz has said and obviously what Eric has to say right now. He's grown on me. I like him. I like the way he just shoots from the hip at the end of it. doesn't really mind if he swears live on air. So what? We can get rid of it. If he does it on TalkSport, we'll get rid of it. If he does it on Sky, they'll apologise. Ten Hag wasn't getting ahead of himself, though. We have a long way to go. I mean, you are in the process. Uh, you have to deal with setbacks. Sometimes you also you have highlights. Today is a highlight. But... Yeah, we we just started. What we have to get is is the way to to above. Uh, to uh, we have still a lot of room for improvement, and that is what we have to work for. But I hope the players now understand, and uh, the base is always team fighting spirit. So, what do you make of those comments, Wade? And obviously, on the back of what Rad said. Um, did you see something, and I'm assuming you did watch the game, but did you see something tactically in the game that was slightly different? Do you agree with what, what Rudd said? Do you think Klopp got it wrong? Where did you see the game won and lost? Yeah, no, I do agree with what Rudd said. And you know, in terms of Ten Hag's comments, I think those are all the right things to say. You can't get too ahead of yourself with the victory like this. Um, it's a good start. What will be important now is what happens after this, right? Because I'm going to give United a lot of credit for the victory, but it's um, sorry against Liverpool at home, right? Especially when you're under pressure like that, you shouldn't need any extra motivation for that game. So I'd imagine all the players were up for this one, um, and particularly with the way the season starts. There's probably not a, another game this year that they're going to be as pumped up to really win, um, you know, especially with the recent history and some of the pastings that they've taken from Liverpool over the last few last few seasons. So probably the easiest game to get up for. In saying that, um, you have to give Ten Hag a lot of... This is exactly right in terms of uh, tactically. I think Liverpool are known to put pressure on you, press up high if you're trying to play out from the back force you into mistakes, and then capitalize from there. And the way Brighton uh, pressed uh, uh, United as well as, um, who was the game they played just before? Brentford, 
right? They exposed that part of the game. So I think he had to switch it up. And kudos to him for doing that. You know, we can praise the tactics, but on the other hand, you also have to say, did he have another choice? You know, he had to sort of go that game plan. It could have got really ugly if he stuck to uh, that sort of system that he did previously playing out from the back. So but on him for making um, but United came up with so much energy. Really impressive. Um, Liverpool as well. Numbers. Um, and the most impressive thing for me is probably how they kept their shape defensively. There wasn't a lot of space for Liverpool to operate in. I thought they were really good at that. Um, they really sat in nicely. They made it tough to break down, um, you know, to, yep. yeah, to to be broken down rather. And that was really impressive for me because I was watching and I was thinking to myself, how are Liverpool going to get through here? And that's often ask. You can point to the midfield. Was I thought Liverpool's midfield were poor. Milner, Henderson, they really offered nothing and they allowed United to dominate that area of the field. McTominay probably had the best game I've seen play. United shirts. I mean, he was in, involved in everything, breaking up play. Um, so they were really good in that regard. But it was a very impressive performance from United. What I want to see now is they have to St. Mary's next week. Do they come up with the same energy? You know, do are they that, that aggressive? Do they continue to show this? Because, again, it's easy to get up for United at home. What happens next is going to be, I think, we can sort of judging it from there. So... But kudos to them. Good win. They deserved it. And, um, you know, hopefully it doesn't continue. Yeah, yeah well, well, interesting, interesting views, Jensen. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. I seem to be all on my own. Hopefully, if I keep talking, they'll just get back into the podcast. But analyze um, what I was actually going on in the game. I probably agree with with a fair bit. There was no doubt, and I think Klopp said it. In United were always going to come out with a renewed energy, given the start to the season that they had, and of course. Liking from Brentford, so you, you would expect as a United fan. I can't hear you, Rods. Can you hear me? I think it's I think it's very convenient that we lose control problems. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, you know, I think uh, you know. I don't know what you think, Wade, but. Uh, I think they got problems in the middle. I think they really need to bring in one or two bodies. I think, um, you know, I think the the guys they got there, you know, Milner and Henderson are aging. Um, yeah. Thiago yeah. and Fabinho spend a lot of time on the sidelines. Um, Keita looks like he wants out. I think they need um, a body in there. Uh, I'd also be a little bit concerned. I don't think it's a massive concern, but a little bit concerned about Van Dijk in his form. I think um, he's not been good over the last three games. Um, and maybe that's just about fitness and sharpness and it gets better as it goes on. But, uh, you know, he, he was culpable a little bit um, um, in in some of the attacking play. Um, 
But in saying that, I also think it's down to, to, to the midfield as well because he'd be a lot more exposed than he normally would be with having Fabinho, um, you know, yeah. predominantly in front of him. I mean, Fabinho did come in. Um, you know, there, there weren't too many of those um, opportunities where you got United coming um, straight um, straight on and attacking that space. So, mm. um, but yeah, we've got Connell right back to talk about Liverpool problems um, Sorry, and what yeah, Klopp needs yeah. to do. Um, I heard something about him saying Klopp out. I don't know if you want to expand on that, Connell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I will definitely plead the fifth on that one. That's for sure. Um, no, I think what I did, it's, it's very hard to see the game tactically when you're watching with the emotion during the game. What I did afterwards was kind of try and understand what happened tactically because there were things in that game that forced a lot of errors from Liverpool. Um, And it's probably something that happened. I saw it already in the Fulham game. Um, A lot of errors, a lot of misplaced passing, a lot of the basic things that... I'll take you back. When Klopp first came in, we had an error-strewn team. So what I mean by that is we had players like Martin Skirtle um, and a few others in that team where... When they got the ball in these positions that Klopp wanted, there was a lot of mistakes that led to goals or, or, or turnover in possession. That slowly dissipated as Klopp stamped his mark on the team. And that near-perfection football we saw for almost you know three years or um, up until last year was the basis of the execution of a plan. You know, you, you guys said it, Liverpool were like a well-drilled machine. What I've seen in these first three games, especially the Fulham and the United game, was literally almost a, a scary thought of a time taken back to that, where all of a sudden we're littered with these little mistakes and we don't look like scoring, number two, and we also look like we're going to concede every time a team attacks. And one of the things I saw from United was, and I'll give kudos to them, was a much more direct approach in their play. Listen, I've said it for years, there is no secret in where Liverpool's weaknesses lie. It's just executing against those weaknesses. Our left and right backs are basically attacking wingers. So the space that is actually left down those channels is there to be exploited. And if you can put up a game plan that somehow presses Liverpool up high, which has already happened a couple of times now, um, and puts their defense under pressure, forcing you know a turnover of possession and then for you to be able to counter on that, the spaces are there, guys. That's why Trent is seen as that opportunity to exploit. And, you know, it's not the mantra of he's a poor defender. It's the fact that in the system, his job, first and foremost, is getting forward. Um, and then the midfield is expected to actually cover for them. So our shape can change from a two in the back, um, which essentially happens when we have the ball. So Liverpool go from a two in the back. And what was happening with United is they were actually pushing up almost two nines in Rashford and it might have been one of the midfielders, even one of the wide players kind of tucking in, putting pressure on Van Dijk and um, and, and Gomez. Right. Now, when you think about the positions of, of Robertson and Trent, they are quite far up. They're almost at the halfway. If you can anticipate that Gomez and Van Dijk are kind of just on the edge of the 18 area. Now, that's quite high up for your fullbacks to be, right? Um, almost in the opposition's half already. The traditional fullbacks are normally just in front of their their kind of le- their centre backs. Now, if you've got the pressure coming from those two players, the out ball is either back to Allison, or you're kind of and you had McTominay in the midfield. Kind of they had four people pressing um, in those spaces, so you kind of had 
McTominay or one of the midfielders kind of blocking off the pass, the simple pass that was there to the middle of the park, um, then forcing kind of a more of a longer ball, which you saw from times uh, from Van Dyke. But very seldom was that actually finding its destination. It just resulted in a turnover of position and United were able to then, you know, garnish some sort of control. So I think there were a number of tactical things that actually forced Liverpool into uh, a bit of a panic uh, clearance. If you look at the first goal, the first goal is a perfect representation of how United uh, system worked in the first 30 minutes and how Liverpool were thrown off. Liverpool actually had the ball. Um, there was a bit of an interchange with ex the exact scenario played out. Gomez had the ball. He played it to Robbo. Robbo then played this ball into, I believe it was Bobby that dropped into the space. Bobby played the ball back and then tried to move out of the, the, the space. Robbo then under pressure from, I think it was Ilanga or whoever it was on the left-hand side, his body position was completely wrong. He then tried to play a ball over the top to Salah, which Scott McTominay cut out. McTominay's first instinct wasn't play the ball short move. The space opened up immediately, I think, for Rashford or whoever it was that was central. Played in and someone, had to, and someone last, had to make a loss. Last-ditch slide um, into that play. And then from there, the resultant goal came. But it, it epitomized the clear tactic that Eric Ten Hag had actually placed on his players and how they were countering that Liverpool kind of high exposure of their wingers. That actually resulted in Liverpool changing the way that they played. And you actually found that Robbo eventually became part of a, almost a back three. And I talk about back three when we have the ball in possession. And we actually um, then implemented a double pivot in the middle of the field instead of one because they were cutting out the single ball that was supposed to go to Henderson, which opens up the space. So it was like all these dynamics playing out and then you you bring into play the the fact that we were unable to even make simple passes and I can see clearly why we lost the game. Um, having said that, if we were even half as good or 75% of the portion of the, the levels we've set before, United were there for the taking simply based on their confidence. So what I mean by that is we actually didn't put enough pressure in that final third or create enough in behind the lines. I cannot remember a single time we actually got in behind and were one-on-one -on -one with De Gea. And we're no. talking about only, uh, only last season winning 9-0 over two aggregate games, and yet we barely created anything. The so, two best chances were, were, were nearly on goals. So the one where, where Bruno came in, and I think there was a save of Martinez where we were forced. Um, outside of that, I think there were five shots in total on target by Liverpool. Two of them came from the goal where uh, Carvalho... Um, came out. I thought Cavallo looked good, um, but I think like uh, with the tactics, um, I think you got a, a lot of it spot on. I would say with the first goal, um, United wanted high up, um, but I think one thing that was impressive for me with that first goal is he won it on the right. Um, so McTominay's played it into space for Rashford. Rashford put a ball into the box where it came into Eriksen. Um, the shot wasn't really so. Um, the ball went backwards, and then they um, from and then they attacked from the left hand side, and that's how the goal came. So I thought there was a bit, a little bit of patience, shot a little bit of, you know, uh, of playing that in the in the final third that that weren't there before. Um, United always looked like they they couldn't create anything because once that ball had come across to 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 Eriksen and the shot wasn't on, Liverpool had a chance to reset. And you'd expect Liverpool to reset back four, keep their shape, um, you know, get their positioning right. But then, you know, one ball in behind um, that space that was 
between um, Van Dyke and um, and and Trent, and all of a sudden, you know, um, looked to, looked to be scrambling, and then there was a nice little interchange between Van Dyke and and Milner, uh, where Van Dyke is having a go at Milner first to say, "Follow your man," and then <laughs> Milner's like in his face saying, "What are you talking about?" You know, you you got to close that shot down. Why aren't you moving? You know, and I, th- I thought that was. You know, you always like to see that from the opposition team when they start, you know, getting on to each other. Just on that. Uh, and let's be well. honest, how often have you seen that happen with Liverpool? No. Well, just, just on that point, uh, Connell, is this just a blip or is there deeper issues at play here? <laughs> it's like he's been waiting for this, ladies and gentlemen, to actually ask this question. You've been prepared. <laughs> Look, I think... I, I, you know, let's talk about Liverpool also. I think um, it's a blip. It's a hundred percent a blip because we've seen what they are capable of, and I know we sometimes take that Community Shield as a as a bit of a, a a friendly, but we know that that was an actual proper game that occurred that day, and you saw the best of Liverpool in that. I think what's happened, and I spoke about it before, is it's it's so early on in the season that the effect of the number of injuries to key players is actually um, it's creating a bit of a disjoint disjointedness in the team. I'll say it right now, a couple of things. When you have, and I said it to you guys before, but when you have the backups or whatever you want to call them of Cater, even Ox, I know Ox doesn't play a lot, but he's always on the bench. And when he has produced last season, he came on and you know scored the odd goal in the eight games he's played, right? But I think it's the mere presence of those players on the bench that also creates this intangible kind of environment for the younger players. Now, instead of going Cavalio, go on, and now you've got to produce that you know, moment of magic, it's the only option that Klopp turns to. So the pressure to that player is already there. Whereas if you have your seasoned veterans on the bench, that player is kind of thinking, am I going to get on? I'm not quite sure if I'm going to get on. If I get on, I'll prove myself. Whereas now he's kind of on the bench and he's going, this guy's going to turn to me any second and kind of ask me to produce the goods. I guess what I'm trying to say is that when you take away the backup players of Cater, Jota, who I think is a massive loss right now for us up top, then you, of course, have Nunes, a new player that's come in that you know is also an option for us. And you take away those senior core players, it's had a massive ripple-on effect. It's not an excuse, but it has a massive ripple-on effect, which is why I think it's a blip. And I think when these players start coming back at some point, we will see a different team. You're talking about Gomez, who I know you were talking, Rods, but he's barely played over a period of time sustainably within this team. So, and funnily enough, he was actually one of the better performers on the day um, in that Liverpool team. So not taking away from him. Um, But if you are, (laughs) I would test any Liverpool uh, player. But when I saw James Milner and Jordan Henderson as the starting midfielders in our team, there was a part of me that went, hmm. Like, it was a hmm. It was a hmm moment. And it was like I was saying to a Liverpool supporter today, it's not that I think either player shouldn't be in that team. I think one can play, but not the other. Not those two at the same time. And I don't care what poor form Fabinho was in, but in a massive game like that, and he has been in, in, in relatively poor form in the first couple of games, Fabinho will step up to the mark. Like you said, it's much easier to get yourself hyped up, Wade, for a game against Manchester United than it is to get for for Fulham and, and Crystal Palace. So I think Klopp missed a beat there by not starting Fabinho in the middle of the park. 
So, so basically, with the number of injuries you had, your point of view is that you don't think Liverpool's team is good enough to beat this Man United team that got smashed by Brentford and Brighton. I don't think we were good enough on the day. No, I don't. I, I think United deserve deserve their victory based on the way in which. But they knowing came. where United's come from, Connor, what I'm saying is that lineup, even with that bench, given should that should have been good enough. Should have been good enough, and given oh, that sh- you know, you, Liverpool have in the past been able to play these youngsters in, and it's just been seamless. This because it's such a system based team um, that when Elliot comes in for or whatever rotation was. There hasn't seemed to be anything of a of a beat missing. This is the first time where you no, can say. No, I'll challenge. I'll challenge that and say that there there hasn't really been a time in. You got to look at it from this perspective too. We're talking about a front three, and I know that that front three was slowly dissipated last season. But you're talking mm-hmm. about a front three that have been consistently there for a number of years, and two of those players are very similar in their style of play very direct in their approach. When I look at someone like Sadio Mane, and I said to you guys, he'll be a loss. Sadio Mane's style of play is so different to Luis Diaz. Luis Diaz is a, is a brilliant player. But if you watch Luis Diaz, every time he gets the ball wide, his first instinct is to cut in. And I don't mean cuts in from the byline. He's cutting in before he's even got to the 18. That's where he cuts in. You look at Sadio Mane, there's two key things about Mane. When he got the ball, he always stayed wide and he kept going and tried to beat his man on the outside and get to the byline. All right, That changes the dynamic of a team. And you also look at his runs he makes. Completely different. Again, Diaz will tend to stay wide. When he gets the ball at his feet, he'll cut in. Mane will make the run from outside to inside to allow those balls straight over the top. Again, subtle things that I think Diaz is either going to have to adapt to bring that part of his game. But I think that has a ripple on effect all the way through. It's not an excuse. It's just this team has been used to playing in a certain way. You're now introducing new players to that system. So that will indicate that it's it's more than just a blip then. You're talking about some... No, it's a blip. Systemic issues issues I'm hearing. It's a blip because I believe there are things still being worked on within the team to get the new players one up to speed. And, of course, now you're having to manage the injuries that are there. So it's a two-pronged... I think, put it this way, I think if we have our strongest or close to our strongest lineup and our, um, what you call, bench players, such as your caters and these players coming on, and you are trying to implement a new system, I think we get there quicker. It's a new system with a number of injuries, and then you're having to bring in youth and new players all at the same time. I think that adaptation is slower. That's yes, the point I'm yes, making. No. Yes or no question? Does Liverpool still win the league this year? It's far too early to make a call on something like that. But with each <laughs> passing, with each passing week, if we don't get some sort of level of consistency going very shortly, you know, we uh, mathematically you got to get post ni- po- 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 post ninety points. We've already yeah. lost. So you're sticking points. to your prediction, essentially. You're sticking to your prediction. I can't change after three games, guys. Come on. No, I, I, three I games. thought you were going to change because I think you was because uh, what I was gathering from what you were saying is that the front three need time to work together. Some things that still need to, to gel and work, which means, you know, that time it takes for them to, to work together means that you're not going to be in, hitting the same heights that you were before. Um, you know, you, you it, it may take longer to get to those heights, 
but then what damage has been done on the season? You know, the only way for me, for Liverpool to, to, to generally challenge the season is if Man City start having blips. Um, so, but, and they can very much have those blips. You mean um, Man City what... and Arsenal start having blips? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and Spurs, who are also undefeated. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. Look, I'll, I'll close it off by saying this. Again, if if this, and this was probably, cop, you can't plan for injuries, right? As in, you don't know when you can have an injury, so it happens. To have them all at once when you're at the start of the season is very, just say what you want, it doesn't matter who you are, but if City had seven injuries to some of their main players, there will be an effect to the way that they play at some point, right? I guess what I'm trying to say is if, to your point, the hard part for Liverpool is if these players are out for an extended period of time, then you can kiss any title goodbye. That's 100% certain. If these players are able to come back, because I'm hearing Thiago's actually out till about mid-September. Jota, they're now talking about also till then. Um, Matip is like an unknown at the same. There are so many players right now where we don't know as Liverpool supporters when they're actually coming back. In fact, Cater was had nothing to do with him pushing a move. He actually is injured and he's out till the end of September. He's had a reoccurrence of some injury from before. So I'm looking at that. Our core 16, 16, 17 players, there's a number of injuries there. You're trying to implement a, a subtle change to your system. Oh, it's not looking good right now based off that. So it'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds. But, you know, right now, um, it's just about getting our first win on the board. And oh, I never thought I'd be... Tell me that fixture list at the start of the season and tell me how many points would we have after three games. I would have put a, you know, my last dollar on us having nine points so it hasn't kind of panned out that way but um, well look you'll get the easy you'll got the easiest fixture of the season next you'll got Bournemouth at home right so here we go right the season starts the season starts this weekend hey, you know I, that old we saying. Go, boys <laughs> <laughs> we'll see where this takes us but I think uh, we spent that time on United it's uh, kudos to them and well deserved Rods but we will now give you the floor yet again. We might as well call this episode the Rudd's Podcast. Um, <laughs> and hand over to the Trivia Master. I've been copying a lot of flack from the listeners about my poor form, much like Liverpool in the trivia. Um, so I'm hoping to step it up this week against Wade. I say, Liverpool are not the only people looking for their first <laughs> win this week. <laughs> so, so let's see if Connell can get it. So we know we know the format, guys. We've got 10 questions fastest. Fastest to the trigger, um, um, we'll get the win. So, straight into it. Which player has made the most successful dribbles in the league to date? I may need to give some clues here because it may not, it's not a top four, traditional top 16. I completely. Okay. So, so, the question is Wade, which player has made the most successful dribbles in the league to date? Not from a top six team. I'm thinking Jolinton. No. It's from a team we spent time talking about today and we have uh, lost weight. So, yeah, um, so I might get in here early. <laughs> you might get in here. Let's see. Um, so, so you'll get the oh, well, he has weight straight back. So so he, he's not from a top six team. Zaha. Very close. What he was is the question? 
Which player has made the most Izzy. successful? It is Eze. Yes. <laughs> Come on, Wade. You got to keep up, yeah, bro. Yeah, too no, slow. fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> you know, a good a good tradesman never blames his tools. So I'll give you that That's one. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, which player has made the most off the ball runs in the league? That's a very interesting stat. Martinelli. No. Zaha. No. It is an attacking player, and it is a player from the traditional top four. Most what was the most off the ball runs in the league? Yeah, Jesus, not an Arsenal player. Haaland, it's not a City player. Salah, Diaz, it is not a Liverpool player. <laughs> Sterling, Mount. it is a Chelsea player, and you're both are wrong on that. Everts. It is Havertz. Uh, <laughs> he's made the most football runs. He's also made the most runs into the box in the league. Okay. Yeah, Petty hasn't I must say, put any of them shout, away, out, though, huh? shout out to Havertz for that terrible haircut he has. He needs to grow his hair again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Salah became the all-time top scorer in the Liverpool versus United fixture for Liverpool with his 10th goal in the fixture. Who is second Rooney. on the list with nine? Steven Liverpool Gerrard. Player. It is Steven Gerrard. Three from three for Connolly. He is, he is off to a flyer. Yeah, off back to with a the flyer. Vengeance, huh? um, which team avoided defeat for the third consecutive time after going two goals behind? Man City. Man City. <laughs> Why did you do that? I am, yeah, I'm, yeah. I think I'm having internet problems. <laughs> um, which team did not have a single shot or touch in the opposition box in the first half of the home, home game? Ah, oh, Wade is on the board. Wade is on the board. Because he which was player? too busy being happy about our Arsenal or destroying Bournemouth at the time. He must have been like, yeah, these guys haven't even had a touch in our box right now. Hey, right? I heard, I heard. Bournemouth Liverpool. were looking like Spurs. <laughs> I heard, I heard Arsenal fans started say, singing Ole's after it was one nil down, like after like ten minutes. They were they singing what? Doing, doing the, you know, you do the uh, Ole's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah when you pass yeah. the ball, I'm like, well, that's the ultimate disrespect. <laughs> ten minutes in. <laughs> ten minutes in, one nil up. Um, which player has been sent off six times since the seventeen eighteen season, which is the most across the big five leagues? Shaka. No. Six times. Six times. So he's been sent off more time than Shaka. Mm. Obviously got a red card on the weekend. Obviously. Koulibaly. Yeah. Koulibaly. Yes. Oh, no, I wouldn't have even thought of him because I'm thinking only Premier League. Yeah, right? same. Yeah. So, I thought so, of him so initially. So in there was a class of five European league. So right. you know, I think he's got a, he's got a pension. Oh, so this guy's a red card oh. waiting to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, that's the a thing I never really considered. So um, he is rash with his challenges, and there were you know it was a deserved red card with his two yellows. So you know, are we to see more um, mm. more of that to come? Interesting. All right, here's an interesting one. Which player has been on the winning team in terms of percentages, win percentage, more than any other player in the league? Van Dijk. Not Van Dijk. 
Jesus. Not Jesus. Close. Saka. Not Saka. What's the question that's been on? The winning team in terms of percentages more than any other player in the league. De Bruyne? Not De Bruyne, no. Salah? Not Salah. Are we in the right direction, yeah? Not with Liverpool. The Liverpool one is out. Haaland. It's not a city player either. <laughs> All right. A lot of currency. Oh, it must be Odegaard. Not Odegaard. It is an awesome Martinelli. Player. Not Martinelli. Smith Rowe. Not Smith Rowe. <laughs> Damn, I can't believe ways of getting the Arsenal uh, question yet. What? Saliba. Saliba. That is not Saliba. No. Gabriel. No. Not Gabriel. Shaka. Who cares? I said no. Saka already. Party. Not party. <laughs> We're going to go Zinchenko. through the... Oh. It is Zinchenko. He is Zinchenko. Yes, get him called the Man City link. And then obviously Arsenal now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, he's brought it back. It's four to five. Four three to four. Wow. Is it? Good. So three to Wade, four to Connell. Three questions to go. Which player has already equaled his goal tally from his previous Premier League campaign? Odegaard. Not Odegaard. Tony? Antony. Mitrovic. It is Mitrovic. Previous Wade has to get the next two to, okay. to stop Connor from winning. Come on, uh, Taylor. Which, which player has the highest conversion rate from free kicks with his current rate being... Ward Prowse. 80%. Oh, Trippier. It is Trippier. Oh, I was going to say Trippier. This week. There's one more question that I'll throw it out just to see if we can well and truly dominate this week. Um, who ended a run of 997 minutes without a goal in all competitions this weekend? 997 minutes. Almiron. Without a goal, not Almiron. Crickets. Adams. Not Adams. Good call, actually. A couple of good ones there that I just noticed. From a traditional top six team. Rashford. It is Marcus Rashford. Rashford. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Well done, Connell. Which goal did he score? The second one. He scored the second one. Yeah. Which, 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 Which is interesting because that second goal that he scored... Last year would have been offside. So, you know, we spoke about the changes to VAR and how they've allowed... Oh, really? Tom. Because I actually thought it was offside. Yeah, so, so it would have been offside if it was last year. So, basically, um, they got thicker lines. And if the lines touch at all, then um, they're going to give advantage to the attacking team. Um, so, that was, you know, as, it's a, as long as it's a consistent rule, I, I'm all for it. It means we're going to see more goals. We all complain about, you know, these... These millimeters and toes of size. So what? So, oh, so the concept is that the line last year the line was thinner. Yeah. So basically, last year you can have very. Oh, line. so this is giving more room for error. Exactly. They yeah. call right. it a tolerance. So what if, uh, if the lines are touching? When if the lines are touching, they'll only show one line. Whereas with the Jesus one, and there was also a a offside with um, Tony. 
there was a gap between the two lines. So they showed the two. So um, that's that's something that the, with VAR was quite good. I, there was a, a call that I didn't quite understand this weekend, which was the, the Trippier red card. I don't know what your thoughts about it, but meant to be calling clear and obvious errors. I don't I don't know. I didn't see that as a clear and obvious error. I thought that was one that, that could have been a red. Um, I don't know if you Yeah, that's that the first thing I said. Like when the ref went over, I was like, oh, because I didn't actually see it in real time. I watched the highlights. Yeah. So when he went over, I'm like, that's red. Like his, his foot was yeah. high. Um, you know, he wasn't trying to win the ball. He was clearly trying to bring the man down as well. Yeah. So no intention to win the ball. That was a red if I've ever seen one. So, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I, 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 did, I didn't quite understand that one at all. I think the, the argument was that, you know, he wasn't trying to hurt. He was trying to trip him up. But <laughs> I don't care about that, bro. It was, no. it was, it was a high challenge on him. 100%. I can't understand it. That's the Aussie ref that changed it. And the thing is, once again, um, the, I haven't seen a single um, call that has has, has remained when when they've gone to the monitor. Yeah. If they're going to oh, the monitor, it, it means it's overturned. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, the, the O in the ear is saying, uh, you messed up, go change yeah. your decision. That's yeah. like what the message is coming across, right? And, they and all say, of this is optics. And, and yeah. you know, the, the, the thing is, because they haven't... Um, it's optics, because as soon as they don't send the ref I was there, hoping he'd be brave enough, though. I'd hoping, I was hoping on this occasion he would be brave enough to say, to say listen, yeah. I'm sticking with this call. I think it's the right call. Because but if there was ever a call that was like, nah, I'm sticking with it, it was this one. Yeah, but I, under, I can understand the ref's position, though, because... He's getting told in his ear, you messed up. You made a mistake yeah. here. Go and have a look. And, yeah. and you got all eyes on you. And you're like, shit, did I make a mistake here? Like, you know, you, you got to yeah. be a little bit stronger. And I think it was his first, I don't know if it was his first, it was one of his first Premier League games of Aussie Ref. That so he's, he would have been, 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 been under pressure. Now, the, see, the good pressure. thing with rugby is you hear you those conversations. And the ref will go and he'll say, nah, actually, I'm, I'm going to stick with my decision. I think it was the right call, you know, so... Yeah. It's, the the ref still has that power, which I know he still does in this case. It's just yeah. that because no one's ever done it before, it's like, is it ever going to happen? Probably not. And so, if it's not going to happen, then stop with no the pass. Yeah, Don't send exactly. them to the monitor. Yeah. Just make them change the decision to say, my my VAR has checked it. You've we got should it be changing it. Yeah, yeah. 100%. 100%, yeah. yeah. It seems like a complete waste of time going over to the system if it's just... absolutely. It's always going to be the same results anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, well done, Connell. Um, I've done a VAR check and you are the winner this week. Yeah. So, congratulations. Unlike Liverpool, well, just, he's got his first win of the season. I'll, huh? just, <laughs> I'll just go on record and say I would uh, trade another loss here if uh, Liverpool just bloody beat United. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess that brings us to the end of another episode of What the Football Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Conway T, and it's been an absolute pleasure. Don't forget to catch us on all the socials at Facebook, Twitter, and, of course, Instagram at What the Football Pod. You can, of course, catch all our episodes as our listeners start growing on Apple Podcasts and on Podbean. It's been another fantastic episode. We hope you've enjoyed it, and we'll see you all again uh, next week as we bring you another episode. Mm.